Philippians chapter number four. We're going to be looking at these final two imperatives in this list of seven imperatives that Paul lays out for us here in verses four through nine. We covered verses four through seven last week, and we'll be closing out here with verses eight and nine as I pass the baton over to Pastor Dave as he finishes out our study in Philippians. It's hard to believe that we are, we're getting that close to it, but I pray that uh, as we near the end here, that you would be attuned to what the Lord would have for you. And as I challenged us last week, that the familiarity and somewhat of the simplicity of Paul's challenges and exhortations in these few verses, sometimes we can just look past them and we can check the box and say, yeah, I've heard that. I've been there. I've done that. I got the t-shirt. Let's, let's move on to, to the next thing. And I hope that we can just linger just a bit longer in these imperatives and just consider what the Lord would have for us as we see Paul's heart really just on full display as he just desires so much for this church to be gripped by the power and reality of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you can see that right here in these, these final verses. So I believe there's, there's still much opportunity for us. So, so stay with us, um, sit up and lean forward as you consider what the Lord would have for us um, in verses eight and nine. Would, would you join me as we just ask the Lord to do just that, to work uh, in and through his word this morning. God, we come once again to your throne of grace as your church has faithfully gathered and we simply pray that you would use your word to change us, that it would expose the sin in our heart, that it would expose the complacency, the rebellion, the areas of our life where we are not surrendered to you, that you would expose it and that by God's grace, your spirit would allow us to take simple steps of obedience this morning. As we consider these final exhortations to think on these things and to practice these things, they are, they are heavy imperatives, Father, and I just pray that you would allow us to receive them willingly this morning and that we would respond rightly to them. I pray once again, as we often do, that we would not be the forgetful here, but we'd be doers of your word. God, I pray that you would work in our midst this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're gonna jump right into it as we reflect back on our big idea of our message from last week. Do you remember it? Uh, we'll go ahead and review it one more time because that's gonna lay the foundation really of, of our message this morning. The big idea of our text of this whole paragraph, verses four through nine, is this. The God of peace promises peace to those who are by God's grace living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Once again, the big idea is the God of peace promises peace to those who are by God's grace living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Peace. In these final exhortations, Paul anchors this first run of imperatives on 
the peace of God. Do you remember that at the end of verse number seven? Paul said, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Once again, Paul is going to circle back to this promise of peace as he ends verse 9 with this idea of peace. And the God of peace will be with you. So the peace of God, it is the the silver lining that that really pulls everything together in this this paragraph of verses 4 through 9. It is about peace. These imperatives arrive at the destination of peace. As we talked about last week, this world is is looking for peace. We, even as believers, long for peace. We, We live in a broken world. Sin. Injustice. Wrong. Prejudice. It's it's all we see it among us in our culture and society. And and we long for peace. And many in this world look for peace through a political leader, through some other philosophy or ideology. But we know as believers that the only thing that can truly bring peace in our own lives and more broadly to this world that we live in, it is the gospel. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so as we consider this, this theme of peace, I, I wonder, do you have peace in your life right now? We looked at these imperatives last week of, of rejoicing always. And again, I say rejoice. To, to be reasonable with everyone. To not be anxious about anything. But rather what? Pray always. And the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard, it's a military term. It literally has the idea of a garrison that is coming about to guard and protect. This is what it looks like for the, for the peace of God to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So let that garrison of peace resonate in your minds this morning as we consider once again the gospel of Jesus Christ, his person and his work that has been on full display through the book of Philippians. As we think back on chapter two and we see that glorious display of of Jesus and his life and him coming and taking on flesh and ultimately going to a cross as we declared and sung about even this morning, that his name Is above every name. Are you thankful for that this morning? So this morning, we're going to gaze once again into the personal work of Jesus. We're going to remember and reflect on the gospel once again. And we're going to examine these final two imperatives and allow them to to stand just really basically as our final two points. And the first point we're going to look at this morning is this. The peace of God is for those that think about the gospel. The peace of God is for those that think about the gospel. And it's here that Paul begins his official conclusion. We joked about uh, the beginning of chapter number three as he introduced that teaching with that term, finally. 
Well, this is the true finally. He really is bringing it to a conclusion right here in in verse number eight. And he's going to draw us into a, a spirit of attention as we consider this final imperative. And he actually ends verse number eight with the imperative as he builds these characteristics and these virtues upon it. So we're going to start at the end of verse number eight. Paul says, think about these things. That is the imperative. The peace of God is for those that think about the gospel. And everything that comes before that imperative in verse number eight is building upon the the quality and the attention and the things that we are to gaze upon or to think about. And that ultimately will draw us to remember the gospel. All these character traits All these beautiful attributes that are drawn out here in verse number eight, it all draws us to remember Jesus and to reflect on the gospel. And so Paul now says, finally, whatever. Finally, brothers, whatever, he says. He builds on that all-inclusive language. Do you remember in verses four through seven, rejoice in the Lord how always let your reasonableness be known to everyone, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. These are all-inclusive verbiage that is described here, and this is ultimately what Paul continues to think in that way where he says, whatever is what? First, true. He tells us to think only on, to focus our attention on only these things that would come. And the first one that he draws our attention to is first, truth. Paul starts with truth. Many believe this this list is, is situated in a descending scale of importance as Paul first starts with truth. Why would Paul first start with truth? Because truth is the foundation of everything. Jesus Christ declares in John chapter number 14, do you remember verse number six? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Paul says, whatever is true, we are to think on these things. That beautiful I am declaration of John chapter number 14 It reminds us that Jesus is truth. This is why our our first point is structured the way it is. The peace of God is for those that think about the gospel. Whatever is true is what we are to think about. And if Jesus is truth, who are do we think about? Jesus Christ. We're to set our mind on the personal work of Jesus. We're to remember how he lived, how he loved, how he interacted, how he responded and reacted to those around him. And we are to, by God's grace, do what? Walk in his footsteps. To be Christ-like. And so this, this call to whatever is true to think on these things is a call for us to think about Jesus. And if we think about Jesus, we're thinking about the gospel. So this is, friends, how the gospel remains relevant, even post-salvation. The gospel isn't just for those that don't know Jesus and and are introduced to Jesus and they're given the gospel and by God's grace they respond in faith. That's not just the only role of the gospel is to save. The role of the gospel is to sanctify us, to change us to be less like our flesh and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul gives us this imperative. He exhorts and admonishes us to think about truth. To think about truth. Do you remember John chapter number one? We're reminded that Jesus is the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, as we think about Jesus, we think about the gospel that is revealed to us through the word of God. As we're in the word of God, we are going to be thinking about whatever is true. Friends, there's also a caution here. From a negative perspective, we acknowledge this morning that there are untruths. There are lies. There are false truths, false gospels that are presented in this world. And so Paul draws our attention to be mindful of not just thinking about any truth, but thinking about the truth, which is the gospel of Jesus found in the Holy Scriptures. So friends, are you anxious? Are you sad? Are you not rejoicing? Do you find yourself troubled over the things of the world? Do you find yourself challenged with living out these imperatives that came in verses four through seven? Paul says the pathway to be able to rejoice, the pathway to overcome fear, the pathway to get on our knees and go before the Lord and to receive his grace in our time of need is through what? It's through truth. It's through the word of God. The word of God changes the disposition of our heart and it brings about a spirit of humility as we remember all that God has done for us in the personal work of Jesus. And so truth is what Paul starts with. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true. Paul goes on second to consider whatever is honorable. The original Greek word here, semnos, carries the idea of whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is dignified or serious in nature. It's referring to the appropriate, honest, and befitting behavior as a child of God. We are to think about whatever is honorable. Appropriate, honest, befitting behavior as a child of God, dignified and serious of nature, worthy of respect. This is what is all layered into this idea of not only brothers, whatever is true, but whatever is honorable. There's an appropriateness about the child of God as we consider our relationship with the holy God. There's a soberness about us as we consider a wise decision-making about us. We are to think about whatever is honorable. That's a tough one in this day we live in, is it not? We live in this entertainment-driven culture Live streaming, content pushed in front of our eyes every second of every day, social media just layering things before us time and time again. We, we are just pumped full of entertainment. I think there's a, an opportunity for us by way of application to consider, is it honorable? 
as you look at the decisions that you make in your life. Uh, certainly, we, we do not promote a, a layer of legalism where we are going to give a, a list of things to do and a list of things to don't. We know within the body of Christ there is Christian liberty, that we may have varying opinions on different choices within the Christian life, and we can be gracious and loving to one another and, and help each other in those moments of decision-making. But I wonder, is there just a base level of contemplation for us to consider is what I am thinking on. What I allow my mind to ponder on and to meditate on and to linger in is the quality of that thing honorable. If you're like me, I certainly can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit as I consider time management. I consider entertainment choices. As we consider where we go, what we do, how we spend our time. Friends, Paul is causing us to come into a spirit of evaluation, a time of introspection as as he layers out these imperatives and he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, think on these things. Is that imperative? It's the quality of that impaired exemplified in my life. True, honorable, third, just. This word in the Greek, dikaios, has the idea of thinking on righteous things. Paul would have us to view things in life the right way. What is the right way? Well, it's not my opinion or necessarily my experience or, uh, hey, I've got a good idea on this thing. Paul would have us to think about things the right way, and the right way is always what? God's way. And to God's standard, whatever is just, Paul says, think on these things. Are we thinking on things God's way? Are we viewing circumstances? Is how we approach and view things. Are we viewing it through, through God's lens, through the lens of his word? When we, when we lack wisdom, are we going to God in prayer and asking him to give us wisdom? How this often goes in my life, or hopefully not often, but sometimes I come to the Lord in prayer because I know I need to, but I come to the Lord with my wisdom. Have you ever been there before? You've got a desired outcome, or you have a hope of how things should turn out or will turn out, and so certainly you know in this moment, I need to pray, and so God, I'm going to pray for this in this way and for this outcome, not truly surrendering our will and our desires to the Lord. We're not viewing things God's way. When we lack wisdom, we come to God open-handed. And we come to God open-minded, ready to receive his will, trusting that he is sovereign, knowing that he is a good, good father that loves us and cares for us and is working out all things for our good and for his glory. This is what it looks like for us to think on things in a just way, whatever is just. Think on these things. We're willing to receive things and view things through God's way and to God's standards. We're thinking on righteous things. So friends, are you viewing the circumstances of life 
through God's way? Are you seeing the circumstances of life with God's purposes in mind? Does your thinking need to be recalibrated? Do we need to hit a a reset button on our thinking? True, honorable, just. Paul moves on to now pure. Whatever is pure. Focusing our attention only. Whatever is pure, only think on these things. The word here in the Greek is is hagnos. It carries with it the idea of having no moral defect. So we're not allowing philosophies and ideologies to slip in and to soil our understanding of morality. We understand right and wrong only through the word of God, through that first one, which was what? Truth. Pure. Are we aligning our definition of morality with with truth and seeing things again through the lens of the gospel, this, this word uh, would have been attributed to divinity, to God, that God is holy. God's word tells us to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. So we are then to think on pure and holy things. I don't know about you, but at this point, working through this list of quality traits, attributes, I hope you're getting the undertones of chapter number two coming back yet once again. Did not Christ embody all of these that we've gone through? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever's commendable. Jesus Christ in his life embodied these perfectly. So then what? Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. As Christ lived, you live. As Christ thought, you think. Jesus is our perfect example in these. And so we are to be Christ-like in these ways. True, honorable, just, pure. Now lovely, whatever is lovely, Paul says, think on these things. The word here is prosphiles. Has the idea pertaining to that which is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. Those things would be described as lovely and Paul challenges us once again to think on these things. Pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. How do we know what is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord? It all goes back again full circle to the first one, which is what? The truth of the word of God. Friends, the word of God is so important for us in our daily Christian living. Are you in the word of God? Do you remember the word of God? Are you being challenged by the word of God? Do you encourage others in the word of God? 
I love it when I receive a text message, maybe from another brother within the church uh, that just sends what? A, a challenge, a, a verse of the day. He says, hey, I was meditating on this verse. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Man, that is, that is lovely in the sight of God. Why? Because that is the word. And the word is his son, Jesus. And, and God loves to hear about his son. And so when we celebrate the word of God in our lives, that is lovely in the eyes of God. And so friends, whatever is lovely, think on those things. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely. And our last whatever phrase here, this whatever virtue before Paul is going to shift to uh, two call-outs that are going to begin with an if statement, but our last virtue here in our whatever sequence is what? It is commendable. Whatever is commendable, think on these things. The Greek word here is ephemos. It's pertaining to things of good reputation. Whatever is commendable. It's interesting, this imperative is a derivative of the verb that can be translated to praise. So this would be things that would be worthy of praise and approval. Other translations would uh, describe this as whatever is of good report. All of these things are by God's standard. Whatever is commendable, of good reputation, worthy of praise by God. Think on these things. Let's read verse number nine. Or excuse me, verse number eight. These two if statements. Whatever is commendable, Paul goes on. If there is any excellence, that's the first one. If there is anything worthy of praise, and then he finishes with the imperative. Think about these things. Think about these things. In these two if statements, it's, it's almost as if Paul is, is doubling down on the importance and layering in another sense of urgency to how these readers would receive these imperatives, these challenges, these exhortations to, to live and to think in a certain way. So these whatever statements are certainly impactful as we consider the, the quality and the attributes of all these virtues, but these if statements draw us once again to remember the gospel. If there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Excellence. What is excellence? It is outstanding moral clarity. This is excellence. And in the gospel, there's much that would be worthy of praise that Paul would cause us to, to think on and, and to remember. Whatever is worthy of praise, what is excellent? It is Jesus' work on the cross of Calvary. It is the fact that he took your sin and my sin to the cross and he paid for it perfectly. And as he cried out, it is finished, we 
are now no longer for those that have received Jesus Christ by grace through faith. We are now no longer under condemnation. The enmity and the conflict that we once had before God has now been resolved and he brings what? Peace in that moment to our life and our heart. And eternally we experience peace with the hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ. That is an excellent work. The only thing worthy of praise is the fact that Jesus Christ came and took on flesh. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are the things that are excellent. These are the works that are worthy of praise. And so when Paul says, think on these things, he wants us to be overwhelmed with the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur of the gospel. To remember it now in the days ahead, whether seasons of difficulty or loss or trial or suffering, or whether through seasons of of great and plenty, God says, remember the gospel. Think on these things, Paul is challenging us. To think on these things. This has the idea of a prolonged contemplation. A prolonged contemplation, we are to meditate, to linger, to consider the gospel. And when we do that, the peace of God is promised to those who think about the gospel. Friends, you desire peace in your life, linger just a little bit longer in the gospel. Are you overcome by fear? Think on these things. Do you need wisdom? Go to the cross and remember Jesus. Are you worrying about whatever may come tomorrow? Think on these things. Whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there is any excellence, and there is, right? If there is anything worthy of praise, and there is, these, are, these if statements are structured as Pastor Andy talked about a few weeks ago. These are almost rhetorical statements. If there is anything excellent, and there is, if there's anything worthy of praise, and there is, think on these things. Our second point that we're going to look at this morning is the peace of God is for those who live the gospel. Peace of God is not only for those who think about the gospel, but the peace of God is for those who live the gospel. Paul now is going to connect the dots between thinking and practicing. Before one can live the gospel and practice these things, one must know, understand, and think on the gospel. Thus, right thinking always precedes right living. Right thinking always precedes right living. When we desire to live rightly in accordance to the word of God, without the foundation of right thinking, without the foundation of the gospel, we would call that legalism. Because we're trying to live for our own glory. We're trying to live rightly to earn grace in the eyes of God. We receive grace 
We understand the gospel. And as we think on the gospel, by his grace, he changes us, transforms our mind and our thinking so that we can work those things out in our life, in our actions, in our decisions. So Paul calls his readers to consider and recall four specific ways they have interacted with him. Verse number nine, follow with me as I read, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Paul's imperative for them to practice these things is a call to consider the heart of discipleship. Paul is stating in this, this final teaching opportunity in this letter to be what? To be a disciple maker. Paul says, be a disciple maker just as you experienced from me. Be disciple makers. This is the heart of Paul as he closes out this letter that as they remember and think on the gospel, as they have received the gospel, as they know the gospel, that they will live out the gospel. And friends, as we live out the gospel, it is going to, it's going to cause us to meet other people. The gospel is, is going to take us to others inside the church, outside the church within evangelism. But Paul is calling them to consider the call to be disciple makers. Chapter four, verse number nine is is really a footnote to chapter three, verse number 17. Do you remember that verse? You can turn just a page over. Paul says, brothers, chapter three, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So it's Paul's challenge to imitate himself. First of all, what an incredible statement for Paul to make. Oh, that we could have the same testimony and could urge others, imitate me. Paul said in in other places in the New Testament, follow me as, as I follow Christ. So this wasn't Paul raising himself to some spiritual mountaintop and saying, hey, I've arrived. I'm the pinnacle of of Christianity. No, Paul, in a spirit of humility, remembers that it is only Christ that he follows. And so as he calls others to imitate himself, as Pastor Dave reminded us of this idea of discipleship, as he worked through that passage of Philippians 3, verse number 17, we're reminded that God desires us to reach others with the love that we have received. Paul's imperative to imitate him was a call to discipleship. I was just recently thinking about this and pondering it. Even as I was preparing, we had the Youngs over to, to dinner the other night. Ed briefly, Ed and I were talking about this. Think back on your church experience. Think back of your salvation testimony of how the Lord drew you to himself, how you came to understand and, and know the gospel of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but how often, sadly, it is that once we're saved, too often, we're not discipled. 
We don't have somebody coming alongside us within the church, another mature brother or sister in Christ that says, hey, you know what, you're, you're saved, praise the Lord, you're, you're added to the church, you, you joined in covenant membership, and now let's, let's do life together, brother. Let's do life together, sister. Let's, let's get together and read the word of God. Let's get together and, and pray over the cares of our heart, the needs of our heart. This is what it looks like to think on these things. This is what it looks like, uh, brother or sister in Christ, to practice these things. You know what? In my experience, the Lord brought me through this situation, and we can share what the Lord has done in our life. Have you been discipled before? Do you have a heart for others in this church to see them grow up in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord at the top of our worship guide every single week? We have our mission statement. Do you remember it? Liberty Hills Bible Church exists to make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. This is the heart of the church. This is God's desire for the church that we would be disciple-making people. And Paul is using his own life right here in, in verse number nine as the example for them to consider. He understands that his, his time and his ministry and his relationship with this church is, is likely coming to an end. And so he's saying, whatever you have learned, received, heard, seen in me, practice these things. Duplicate them. Pursue others in discipleship. Intentionally, purposefully, with a sense of urgency. Do you feel Paul's heart for the church right here in verse number nine? Friends, if no one is coming alongside and teaching, if no one is giving of themselves, if no one is sharing, if very few are actually living the gospel, we have very few that can practice what they've learned, received, heard, and seen in us. Why is that? Because, unfortunately, there are very few that are passionately pursuing God's heart for discipleship. So friends, I think there's something for us to consider. What do we need to alter, adjust, change in our life that would allow us to not just practice these things individually and for our, our own walk with the Lord, but, but what do we need to change, alter, adjust in our life that would allow us to do these things in the presence of the body of Christ? with others by our side, in the trenches, in our homes. When the marriages are struggling, when they're having difficulties raising the kids, when there's a loss of a spouse, when there's that loss of a job, when there's a lack of wisdom and understanding, friends, do we have a heart to come alongside and be inconvenienced by the needs of the church so that we by God's grace, can see verse 9 come alive in our midst. That others right here in our church would have the same testimony that, hey, you know what? I have learned, I have received, I have heard, I have seen in so-and-so within Liberty Hills Bible Church. I am practicing these things because I've seen them in others' lives. By God's grace, Paul was living his life in a way that honored 
the Lord. And he's laying out by inspiration of the Holy Spirit how he was able to say what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Practice these things that all started and ended with the gospel. Paul just lived seemingly every waking moment of his life in light of the gospel. That's why he could say only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and I hear of you, that you're standing firm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is how Paul lived his life. Every day, whether he was with the church at Philippi or whether he wasn't, he was living in this way. And so he desired others to live that way because this is what it looks like to live in light of the gospel. It all started with the gospel, ended with the gospel. Thinking on the gospel produced a right practice of the gospel. And as Paul was living out the gospel in biblical community, others were there and others were impacted. This is discipleship in its most simple and pure form. Thinking rightly, practicing rightly in the presence of others. I think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 1. Paul uses this word, what you have received. Once again, he says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that, you, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. What you have learned through the word of God, what you have received by way of exhortation and challenge and admonition. What you have heard, placing ourselves in the context of the preaching and teaching of the word of God and what you have seen by way of observation because you are in proximity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, practice these things. Paul says in Colossians chapter number three as he challenges the church at Colossae to be an above-minded Christian. Do you remember chapter three, verse number one? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think on these things, practice these things. And then Paul finishes verse number nine with this incredible promise. Once again, as he bookends uh, these verses, verses uh, eight and nine with this concept of peace, the promises and the peace, excuse me, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Friends, we are called to take this message of peace to a world that is in enmity with God. We have a great promise that as God's grace moves in our lives and as we, by God's grace, take simple steps of obedience to think on and practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. What an incredible source of comfort and hope that is in our lives. It 
it draws my attention to remember the Great Commission. Do you remember Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Paul says, or excuse me, and, and, and Matthew says right here is recorded in the Gospels, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, and it's the promise that Paul gives to his disciples, and it's the promise that we have as current disciples that God will be with us. As we think on these things, as, these pra- as we practice these things, by God's grace, the God of peace will be with us. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Be reasonable with everyone. Be anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. Practice and think on these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Would you join me in prayer as we commit these things to the Lord? God, we come to you right now and we just thank you for these words, these inspired words words of scripture that Paul wrote and penned thousands of years ago. That we can can think and remember these same things. I thank you that we have the grace and the gift of God's word this morning. And I pray as Paul challenged the church at Philippi through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have this same writings in our hands today and I pray that we would be challenged right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church to consider these imperatives and to consider how the gospel can change our lives, not just for salvation, but every single day. I pray that you would give us the heart of discipleship, that we would see that unfold among our midst. I pray that you would help us to remember that you are with us. Friends, maybe you're here this this morning and you needed to remember just that simple promise at the end of verse number nine. No matter what you're going through, no matter how dark and difficult it may seem, no matter how uncertain tomorrow may be as you step into another work week, as you step into uh, another feeling of uncertainty, God is with you. God, I pray that you would take that promise. You would plant it deep in our heart and I pray that we would believe it and we would remember, we would remember that you are worthy. We pray these things in your precious name, I pray.